What's going on, guys? Welcome back and good morning to all for Dime Droppers' 11th episode coming to you from Los Angeles, California, as always. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe on all platforms at Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod, Facebook at Dime Dropper Pod, and of course to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. And of course to subscribe on our YouTube channel at Dime Dropper Podcast. So let's get this started. Um, we're going to start out talking about the Heat and the Bucks. So I picked Heat and Six in my last episode. I was one game off. I'm not surprised at all. I told you guys what I thought about how well-rounded this Heat team was. And once again, they are led by their superstar. It's time to stop calling him just a star. He is a superstar. He has made four different teams. I'm sorry. He has taken four different teams to the playoffs in the last four years. He has consistently increased his averages in the playoffs as he's doing so again. And now he is in the conference finals for the first time. And that is Jimmy gets buckets, Jimmy Butler. And he's led by example on both ends of the floor. And you know what? He may not be the most skilled offensive player. He may not have the fanciest handles. He may not be your 25 points per game scorer. He averaged 20 in the regular season. He's averaging 22 right now. Once again, the sign of all superstars increasing their averages in the playoffs. He's gone from 45.5% to 48%. He's gone from 24% from three to 50% from three. And I'm guessing part of the reason that is is because he's taken less. And Jimmy Butler... You know, once again, when we talk about making everyone around us better and not just certain guys and not putting people in boxes, Jimmy Butler is showing you what that looks like to a T. Because not only did he go to Minnesota, who hasn't made the playoffs, who hadn't made the playoffs since 2004, and they made the playoffs, and now they're back into being the Timberwolves again now that he's gone. The Sixers were one game or one overtime period away last year from beating the team that ended up winning the championship. And that was in Philadelphia with this dysfunctional Joel Embiid and Brett Brown and Ben Simmons. And now they had championship expectations going into this season and they completely shot the bed where Miami is now in the conference finals with Jimmy Butler. So it's time to start realizing this guy makes people better and I'm seeing it with Miami because he's letting Tyler go off. He's having games where he only scores 10 points. He's letting Goran Dragic go off. He's letting him run pick and roll. He's not making Goran sacrifice for him. He can turn it on when he wants and get him across the finish line. And that, in my opinion, is why he was the best player in this series. He is the best player in this series. And Bam Adebayo was also great. Rookie Tyler Hero's also been great. He's averaging 15 in the playoffs. He's improved his averages. So congratulations to Miami, a world-class organization, a well-coached team led by Eric Spolstra. Duncan Robinson's also averaging 10 in the playoffs. Jay Crowder's averaging 13. It's just been an amazing all-around attack. And I'm thinking that they're looking good going into the finals. Or I'm sorry, going into with their chances of going to the finals. And being able to sit back and watch that game seven tonight is going to be a treat for Miami and nice re- uh, relaxation for them. As for the Bucks. It's time we started calling it how it is. Y'all are pretenders. It's very obvious you're pretenders. You can roll over those weak Eastern Conference teams like Detroit and Cleveland and New York all year long. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, when it comes down to teams that can figure you out and can put, you know, make you uncomfortable, expose your flaws. And as I say always, all your flaws get exposed in the playoffs. And the Bucks 
alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo's flaws were exposed big time. And despite the fact that he seemingly improved his jumper in the offseason, he still has a long ways to go. All he does is constantly try to charge in, Euro step to the rim. He relies, he has no counter moves. He has no mid-range game. He's a horrible three-point shooter, and he consistently stands at the perimeter with the ball, and everybody wants to blame his coach. I'm not saying Mike Budenholzer wasn't at fault for this series. He definitely did some things wrong. But the number one blame has to be on Giannis, who's clearly not there yet. And once again, I'm not even going to get into the ESPN ranking him over uh, Kawhi, even putting him in the conversation with that of LeBron. Giannis has so much to go. I take Jimmy Butler on my team over him. Everyone's going to listen to this like, you're fucking crazy. Let's not let a playoff series distract you from what it is. I'm sorry, but the playoffs is what we judge on. You know what? Chris Paul hasn't won a ring because he's never won in the playoffs. We're not judging him off the regular season. This is where it matters. And when it matters, Jimmy Butler has a more reliable scoring game. He has a more reliable offensive game. I consider him a better defender. Despite So once again, at the end of the day, the only argument you can make to tell me Giannis is better than Jimmy Butler are statistics and media-awarded media awarded awards like Defensive Player of the Year, and MVP. And you know what I think about their opinion. I don't think anything of it because they're clueless. So I'm watching the games. You can put up all those stats in the regular season. You can put up those stats in the playoffs. They're always going to be in losing efforts. They don't mean that much to me. And if you want to talk about, oh, the Heat's team is a lot better than the Bucks. well, look what happened when Giannis didn't play. I'm not saying that the Bucks are better without him, but Chris Middleton took it to another level. The team started thriving together around each other, and they won a game. So to me, when people want to say, and this goes back to, I said it on the Coast to Coast Report premiere, is people want to try to push and the media wants to push every single one of these superstars in smaller market teams into the big markets. And everyone's talking about, oh, where's Giannis going? Where's Giannis going? Chill the fuck out. Let's pump the brakes. Why don't we encourage him to stay if he's really the problem? Because we have this excuse culture in today's NBA where, oh, where should he go? His team's not good enough. Well, Chris Middleton's averaging 20 points in the playoffs. His averages haven't decreased all that much. The re- Eric Bledsoe, I mean, I love the guy because he was a backup for the Clippers, but his, his uh, chances have kind of run out here. His IQ is abysmal. He settles for horrendous shots. He has not improved his jumper. He's not really improved skill-wise. He's only gotten less athletic. Eric Bledsoe, he's not a starting point guard on a championship team, and it's about time we've, you know, note that out. We've given him chances. And, you know, this happened to... Milwaukee last year with Toronto and I'm not saying that they should break it up I think Giannis just needs to get in the gym and start working on his game and eventually this could be a championship team uh everyone's talking about can they get Chris Paul I think that would be an incredible addition and the perfect next step for this team but the main thing is Milwaukee needs to try to keep Giannis in Milwaukee as best they can they need to do everything they can because without him there's really no true contender and you have to remember, guys, Giannis is 25, and I love what he said in the press conference the other day. He said, no, I'm thinking about how we're going to make this team better. I ain't thinking about where we should go. He's not a free agent yet. So the thing about it is the Bucks are going to have to you know, pressure him into saying what he's really going to do because if, if he stays and then you know, doesn't agree to an extension, they're going to probably trade him mid-season next, uh, next season or maybe this offseason so they don't let him just leave for nothing like we saw with LeBron in 2010. But once again, when the problems start from the top, you need to look at the guy at the top. You don't just go blaming everybody else, the coach and all this. That's called a modern Gen Z cuck excuse-making attitude. We don't do that here on Dime Dropper. We call it how it is. We, we hold the stars to the standards that other stars have been held to. 
and Giannis needs to improve his game. Case closed, great season. See you later, pretenders. Come back next year, re-sign Giannis. By the way, I love his attitude. I love what he's saying. I hope he stands by it. Now we're going to go on to Clipper Nation, the Denver Nuggets, and the Clips. Game one, picture perfect. Couldn't get much better than that. Game two, a lot like the Mavs series. Nuggets came back and hit us in the face. And once again, what does it start with for the Clippers? That defensive intensity or lack of it to start games. It never fails. And game three was actually a game that made me so nervous because we were not good in that game. We started out with poor intensity. We tried to get back in the game here and there. And it just didn't seem like we could get anything. The Nuggets kept going up by 10. Jokic was just torching us all game. And I think it's very clear. Nikola Jokic, I've been saying it for a couple years now. For the second year in a row, he's the best center in basketball because he's not that lazy. Just because he looks a little slow, because he's a little slow and he's a little, you know, chunky, doesn't mean he's lazy. The guy plays heavy minutes. The guy works pretty hard. The guy is not only a great shooter, he has decent post moves. He knows how to use his size, I think, better than any center in the league. And for me, that's the best center in the league. Joel Embiid has all the talent in the world, but he lacks that seriousness to me. Jokic is a true leader. He's just young. But... This Nuggets team is a good team. They have a lot of weapons. But you know what really, really got me about that game three was I've never, I don't remember the Clippers in any year winning a playoff game in which they played so poorly. Like we don't get those ugly wins in the playoffs. It just hasn't happened before. Every single win that we, the Clippers have gotten in the playoffs from my memory has always been a, a game where the Clippers played well. It wasn't a game where the Clippers didn't play well. And that's the thing about this game four was we had guys like uh, Paul George who were just incredible. I mean, and once again, this is why I hate the analytics. And I tweeted about this is Paul George in game two shot four for 10 from three. And everyone's thinking like, oh, that's really good. 40% from three. You should shoot more. No, he shouldn't shoot more because he shot 7 of 19. He fell in love with the three. He started settling like crazy and taking horrendous shots. He could have been four for seven if he had been smarter. But you know what he did in game four? He started out being aggressive, started taking it to the rim, started getting easier looks, and now he's going to hit his contested mid-ranges. And now he's going to hit his threes off screens. It's not rocket science. I'll say it again. Start out aggressive, take it to the basket when you're 6'8 with that level of athleticism and skill, and then the rest of the game will come to you. And Paul George was 12 of 18. I think he finished with 32 points in game four. Kawhi, he wasn't spectacular, but he made all the right plays, including his fuck you block to Jamal Murray at the end and had a bunch of assists. And he was, once again, I do not care about field goal percentage. I don't know how many of you efficiency nuts have to hear that so many times. I don't care about field goal percentage. I care about the win. There are other things that go into basketball games besides shooting the ball that can give you the win. And Kawhi Leonard was like 9 of 19 in game four, but he made the right plays in the pick and roll and they were trapping him like crazy. And you know what? I also think this, and it's, it applies. We're going to get to Harden in a second, but we, um, I don't think that when a team is blatantly double teaming and trapping and blitzing on pick and rolls, I don't know why so many teams consistently try to keep the pick and roll going instead of just letting your guy go one-on-one. -on -one. Forget the double. Let him go one-on-one. -on -one. Don't bring the help. The help will come once he makes his move and then he can go drive and kick old school. Don't need the pick and roll because once Kawhi gets that pick and roll, he's going to get trapped. And I know we're getting on those four-on-three situations, but when, the, when there's guys not hitting and we don't want the ball to get out of Kawhi's hands, I think we should just say, screw the screens. Let's go one-on-one. -on -one. 
So when the Clippers got that win in game four, it showed me that we're probably going to win this series because if we win a game ugly like that and this team has just played a seven-game series and they're young, they're going to be a bit def deflated. And then we started out game four, and I really believe that game four was our best game of the entire playoffs because we were intense defensively from the get-go. I don't care if the shots weren't falling. It was a defensive-minded game on both sides, and the Clippers, at the end of the day, prevailed. Montres Harrell seemed a lot more like himself. We've shortened the rotation down to nine players. We've taken Reggie Jackson out of it, and I'm so cool with that because his decision-making is horrendous, as I've said before. Landry Shamit. Let's talk about him for a second. The amount of times that I saw him hustle over screens, not fall for fakes, make sure he was on a player's hip, getting the hand up to contest. Forget the threes. I could not be happier with the way Landry Shamit has defended, with the way he's played in the playoffs. I am so excited about how he could look going into a potential conference finals because his energy, and also Lou Williams' energy defensively. These last two games have been so much better. I haven't seen that lucid liability usually, but I've seen him get some steals. And once again, it just kind of boils it down to me that it's all about the effort. And one of the biggest reasons for our effort or lack of it is Patrick Beverly's presence on the court. Pat Bev, you know, he's, he's become the most hated player in the NBA. To be fair, I couldn't give two fucks what the Laker fans or anyone has to say. At the end of the day, I was, a, I was a Pat Bev hater when he was in Houston. And even I could admit that I would love somebody like that on my team. Because at the end of the day, he's going to give it his all. He's never going to act like it's just another game. He's going to play 110%. And that's exactly what he does for us on the court. Not only mixed with the fact that he's a much better three-point shooter than everyone gives him credit for. And... Pat Bev hustles over every screen. We talked about this before, of how in the modern NBA and the rules, the screen is just the most OP play in the game. Well, if you hustle over it, the chances of it being so OP are severely lessened. And Patrick Beverly and Landry Shamit were doing their thing. And Kawhi Leonard has also been outstanding defensively in this series. Also Paul George in the pick and roll and the dribble handoffs against Jamal Murray. So let's talk about Jamal Murray, who averaged 31 points a game, in his series against the Jazz. What's he averaging against the Clips? Strictly 18 points a game, 37% from the field, and a pretty good 39.5 from three, but we're keeping him in check completely. So that's the reason why we're up 3-1. So I'm feeling good, except this is when the nerves start. 3-1 yet again, guys. <laughs> I, I If you haven't watched my first episode... I reflected on what my what my emotions were, how it felt to blow the 3-1 lead to Houston. And, you know, it's been five years, and to be back here again, we had the first heartbreak I really had with the Clippers was Raja Bell, game 5-0-6 in the second round. And then we had, you know, a bunch of years of not making the playoffs again, but the true heartbreak came again against against Memphis in the first round in 2013 against OKC in the second round when Chris Paul had his biggest collapse of his entire career in Game 5 when we were up 8 with a minute left. And then, of course, the 3-1 lead. We are one game away from finally breaking the Clipper curse, the second round curse, from never having to hear zero conference finals appearances. You've never made it out the second round. Corey Brewer and Josh Smith, 3-1, 3-1, 3-1.
I cannot tell you how tired I am of it. I cannot tell you how much I've waited for this moment my entire life. And today, today, 9-11-2020 may be a joyous occasion for Clipper fans. A day that could not be forgotten if we were able to finish them. And I think we need to finish them. Put our foots on the throat in the beginning of the game. Come out and just step on them. Remove any hope in life that they have of coming back in this series. Because not only have they just come back from 3-1. I know no team has come back from 2-3-1 deficits in a postseason. But we are also the Clippers. We've seen weirder shit happen. And everyone's talking about, oh, the Lakers series. The Lakers series. Well, if we lose tonight... I guarantee you all that, oh my god, Lakers this, Lakers that, is going to be shifted back into, oh my god, I'm nervous, let's not blow a 3-1 lead again. So once again, keep your heads in front of, you know, eyes on the prize, and the prize right now is to beat Denver, not to beat the Lakers. So we need to get out of this round. The last time I heard about, oh, the conference final is going to be good, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer looked like fucking Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan out there. So... I'm not getting too ahead of myself here. At the end of the day, we haven't lost back-to-back games in the bubble. We haven't lost back-to-back games in the playoffs. And I guarantee we won't lose three in a row with the claw. However, once again, weirder shit has happened. So I'm so excited. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. This is when it's really starting to hit. I, I talked about it in my opening episode of why I didn't want the NBA to come back at first. And, you know, if we win this game tonight, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to watch on my TV. I may even cry some tears of joy. I mean, this means a lot to me. It's like the championship for me, honestly, with the way it's been for the Clippers in my life. But, oh, how I would wish to give anything to be at the Staples Center, to give anything for the team to be here, for us to support them, for me to just give Kawhi Leonard an MVP chant just once, for us to, you know, be outside of Staples Center and downtown of Figueroa if we didn't have a ticket to the game and just get ready to start dancing in the street and celebrating with the fans, not just after the championship, but after just winning a sec- our second round series. It pains me so much that they're so far away because I'm not going to lie. It do- it will feel great, but it's not going to feel as it w- it's not going to feel the same as if it would have been making it out of the second round here in LA like I envisioned it my whole life and it's really starting to hurt. And one thing that's even starting to hurt more is the potential of a Lakers-Clippers conference finals for the first time ever essentially being viewed as like the NBA finals this year, and it's not being in Los Angeles, not being at the Staples Center, not having that banter. It's just going to be, you know, online or... It just sucks. It just sucks, man. Fuck this coronavirus. Fuck 2020. If the Clippers win the championship, I'm never going to say fuck 2020 ever again, so take it as you will. Let's go into the Lakers series uh, before we end with the Game 7 preview. I know you Celtics fans listening from the other side are excited to hear what I have to say about that. Um, let's talk about the Lakers. So the Lakers obviously came out in game one. And let me just address something real quick. The Lakers, or LeBron fans, have created this thing called Game 1 LeBron where he feels out his opposition and loses so he can come back and beat them in the series. So now we're coining terms to represent superstars that are a term based on them losing games. There's no, oh, it's not playoff this. You know, I've heard of Game 7 Bill Russell before because he never, almost never lost in Game 7. I'm not even sure. I'm pretty sure he, he either never lost or he won or lost once, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, now we're creating terms to defend a guy to lose a game in the playoffs. All right, cool. Whatever. Uh, uh, you know, that aside... Anthony Davis and LeBron really responded in the next three games, particularly 
um, Frank Vogel actually, I think, has been the star of this series because he adjusted so well. They have no one that can guard James. I said it in my last episode. But what they did was they just doubled from the top and they've completely figured out this Rockets team because they go double at the top late in the shot clock and then Harden throws it to Westbrook for these four-on-three situations in which he was thriving before the bubble and now he's just against higher opposition and better rim protection. He's missing contested shots at the rim. He's missing his mid-ranges. He's broke as fuck from three, and he's making poor decisions. He just drives full speed and tries to jump pass. And once again, it goes to show my point, and I'm a, I'm a huge Westbrook fan. Like I've been rooting for this guy since he first came into the league, but it's time to stop defending the bullshit. You want to tell me he's a top 10 point guard of all time? I don't care about his stats and his media-awarded votes. What's he doing when it matters? And consistently, time and time again, his IQ has shown to be poor. And you know whose IQ is no better is fucking James Harden. Because, oh, he was double teamed. He was double teamed. What app, What are these, ex- once again, goes back to my Gen Z cuck excuses. Damian Lillard, oh, he was double teamed. Steph Curry, oh, he was double teamed. James Harden, oh, he was double teamed. You, you think people haven't been putting up with double teams in their careers? You think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar never got a double team? I've seen him get double teamed before he touches the ball in games. You think Kobe never got double teamed? I used to see Kobe get triple teamed. You think Jordan never got double teamed? So now we're going to make excuses for a guy going 2 of 13? You want to know what he should do? You want me to tell you? He gets the ball, and he's one-on-one, and you know what you got to do? You got to go quick before the double team comes. He wants to sit there and survey the defense. You know what surveying the defense is doing? It's letting them load up, letting them double, get, letting them ready to cheat and help. They're in a zone. The Lakers are playing a zone. If Harden wants to really be effective, which he never is with his dribbles, he gets the ball, quick between the legs, get by the first guy, and then make your play. He just waits for them to double, and he just... And also another thing, I mean, I've already talked about it, and everyone knows the deal with James Harden. He constantly tries to cheat the game. He constantly worries more about his fouls and getting his calls than actually playing the game and making his layup. Yesterday, anytime there was more than one person in the paint, like AD or anyone, Harden would miss his contested layups. So that's telling me that in the older generations when the paint was crowded, Harden could not succeed. He needs a cleared paint. I mean, when I say succeed, that doesn't mean he's not averaging 20-plus. I'm just saying being the offensive, like, nuclear weapon that he is in today's NBA. And the Lakers completely found out this Rockets team because they took away the threes by playing their zone up high and making them put the ball on the deck and go to the basket. And once again, it's exactly what I said about finishing in today's NBA. Players are poor, particularly a team. And I think the Rockets are the perfect embodiment of everything wrong with the modern game. They shoot too many threes. They have no idea when to quit. They completely eliminate the mid-range game, which was hilarious last night because Austin Rivers, who I really like, was open for a mid-range jumper on the right wing, and he completely didn't even look at the basket. He was like, all right, let me pull this shit out, and he got the ball stripped from behind. Like, you're just playing dumb basketball, you idiots. I don't understand how many times Mike D'Antoni's gonna get kicked out of the playoffs to fucking learn. They need to fire him. It's over. This team is done. Like, you can come back, run it back next year, but you're a joke-pretending team. Harden's never gonna win a championship, and neither is Westbrook. And I love both, not both of them, I love Harden. I mean, I'm sorry, I love Westbrook. They're never gonna win. They're clueless. The Lakers have embarrassed him in this series. AD's been great. He's averaging 29 and 11. Increased efficiency, increased stats. LeBron's been great. I think he's still been a little too turnover heavy. But LeBron, at the end of the day, has been great. And he was scorching in that first half of game three. I mean, when he's hitting, like, turnarounds, that's when you know he's hot. Because he doesn't do that regularly. 
And if he does, it's like one a game. So when you LeBron stands, when to say, are you kidding me? Calm the fuck down. Um, but he's been great. He's been great. 26, 10, and 9 for LeBron. 29, 11, and 4. And of course, we can't end the topic until we finish talking about playoff Rondo. I mean, I'm one of the biggest Rondo fans. I've always ha- always have been. You know, Dime Dropper. He's one of them. Um, it's unbelievable how he just does this in the playoffs every year. I mean, he's had such a mediocre season. For him to come back and just do this every time, it's just absurd. It's because he understands the game at a higher level. He understands what it takes to win. He understands the plays you need to make and how you have to raise your performance in the postseason. So as of now, one of my friends as a Celtics fan was saying it, and I honestly agree, I'd have Rondo over Westbrook all time because Westbrook's performance always drops in the playoffs. I don't care about his averaging a triple-double or winning MVP. Everyone wants to care to the to Oscar Robertson, you know the difference between Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook? They may have both averaged a triple-double. One of them was smart enough to win a championship and understand what it took. Westbrook does has no clue what it takes because I love the guy, but he makes tor- terrible decisions. And, yeah, Harden, he's garbage to me. He's not a top-five shooting guard of all time. I don't give a fuck about his stats. He's not better than Wade. That's an insult. That's an insult. He's not better than Drexler. He's not better than a lot of guys. So, Bye-bye, Rockets. The Lakers are about to finish them, and you got to give the Lakers credit. Their defense has been superb. Caruso has been a star in that category as well. So to end off, let's talk about Game 7. Uh, I had the Celtics in 7. I did. So we are looking good tonight, people. I'm feeling it. And you know what? I want the Celtics as, out as bad as the next guy because, I, you know, they've won too many championships already. But... I want them to get to the conference finals because I want to be right, and I don't love this Toronto team. They're cool. I like the Celtics team. And I think that Tatum now, you know, if you look at his averages now, they've dropped a bit. In the last podcast, he was averaging 27 in the playoffs, and now he's averaging 25, 10, and 4, which is still fantastic. Uh, Kemba's also, here's the thing about Kemba, guys, and this is the biggest game of his career tonight in the NBA, is that Kemba Walker, no matter what he does, he doesn't take too many bad shots. Like, I remember watching him in Charlotte, and he used to just take every single uh, every single three uh, when he gets over the screen, when the defense drops. he would like Even when they were in a pretty good position, he would still take it contested. And I just remember thinking Kemba was kind of a chucker. But he's not, actually. That was just because he was on the team that he was on. Kemba Walker, you know, he rarely takes bad shots. And I saw the shots he missed last game, and they weren't even bad shots. So it's hard for me to really get angry with a guy and say he's bad or, oh, my God, you need to step up or I'm going to do this or I'm going to say this. Kemba Walker takes good shots, and he's increased his averages in the playoffs. And you know what's funny is we're hearing a lot about Lowry and how he's kind of turned the corner. And I said it in my podcast, championship confidence has changed Lowry and the rest of his team. But that being said, Lowry and Siakam's stats have still dipped in the playoffs the only two players on this Raptors team whose stats have increased in the playoffs are um, OG Ananobi, who's been really good in this series, and his shot completely turned the whole series around. I don't know why in the world the Celtics were in zone. I was I'm Brad Stevens. I mean, I love I love the guy, but he's been out coached in this series by Nurse, so he's got to have one last performance here as a coach to get these guys over the hump. Um, Siakam he averaged twenty three in the regular season. He averages only 17.4 in the playoffs. His field goal percentage is down. His three-point percentage is down from 45 to 39 in the field goal percentage department and 36 to 19 in the three-point percentage department. His free throw percentage is also down from 79 to 71. So Siakam's been very poor. I don't even need to say it. I said it in my breakdown. And Lowry's been really good. I mean, he willed his team to victory last game. Um, 
Kevin Walker or Kyle Lowry, guys? I mean, they're both in the contention for top five point guards in the league right now. Right now, I would say they're both better than Westbrook for me right now. I'm sorry. I know what Westbrook did in the season. It doesn't mean shit to me. I don't really care anymore. How many times am I going to see it? Um, and I, I like him more than Kemba or Lowry, but I'm just being objective. Um, right now, I got Curry when healthy, Doncic, Damian Lillard. I, was, I mean, I would have said Westbrook. But I'm not going to say uh, Kyrie Irving either. Um, Lowry and and Walker this season. So take out Curry. Lowry and Walker this season. Tell me who you guys think is better. I think this game will decide it a lot. I think Lowry is much better in the little things. He's a better defender. He, he's amazing at taking charges. He He's a better leader probably. But Kim Walker has been a good leader for this team. He has made everyone better. He's a clutch performer. He's definitely the better scorer. There's no question about that for me. And I think tonight we're going to see Cardiac Kemba at his finest. I think we're going to see some big performances by the Celtics. They are a young team. They do get rattled at times. But I think the Celtics are going to win this game. I think they're going to really play hard defense from the start. It's going to be a great game. It's been a dogfight of a series. Um, but I think the Celtics are going to get out of this. And I they better get out of this. I'm going to be so mad if they don't. Because this Raptors team should not be in the conference finals in my opinion. Celtics are too talented for this. Jalen, Tatum, and Kemba. I'm looking at Tatum and Kemba particularly. Because they are the clutch performers for this team. Uh, Jalen has had his moments like that three against Houston this year. But it all comes down to them. And it comes down to executing and playing hard and playing good defense for 48 minutes. And taking smart shots. No stupid contested threes You know that are early in the shot clock. Smart shots. Move the ball around. And I think the Celtics are fine. That's all for today's episode, guys. Clipper Nation, I will be shitting myself all game long i hope the next time i'm talking to you is just tomorrow morning because if we do win i'm getting on the on the on the air tomorrow morning recording because i will be one of the happiest people on planet earth 15 years for me 25 35 years of heartbreak for the la clippers and finally the conference finals are within reach Make sure to tell me, remember, feedback, go text me right now, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Hit me up. What did you think of the episode? Remember to subscribe. Peace.